one of the things about ministry is the fact that in all of our lives, for all of us, period, whether ministry or not, we have people who influence us. And, you know, as a pastor, I have people who influence me professionally. There are people who influence my life and what I do. Um, and one of the most important influences of my generation and one of the most important influences for evangelical pastors was a man named John R.W. Stott. Uh, Stott has now passed away, but he, he was, uh, he's an Anglican, was an Anglican. He was uh, in, in England at All Souls Church, pastor and rector. And one of the most brilliant men there really has ever been. Uh, but he was a pastor at heart, and so he could communicate not just as a scholar, but as a pastor. And he wrote a lot of books and commentaries. But one of the most influential books, probably the most influential book in my life outside of Scripture from a ministry perspective, uh, Stott wrote, it was called The Cross of Christ. That's his name, The Cross of Christ. And in that book, Stott says that if it wasn't for the cross, <clears throat> he would not believe in God. And what Stott said is, in a world full of real pain, I could not worship a God who was immune to it. <clears throat> Think about what he just said. In a world where there is pain and suffering, how do you worship a God that seems immune to all of that. We're in a series, and our series is entitled The Jesus on the Cross, The Seven Words of Christ. We're looking at Jesus as he hung on the cross, the things that he said, made seven statements. We've seen three already. Three statements of Jesus occurred right at the beginning of the crucifixion about 9 a.m., uh, and they were, they were statements that were directed either towards people or for the benefit of people. In uh, Luke 23, he says, you know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. To, to, to forgive the people crucifying him. Also in Luke 23, uh, Jesus says to the thief on the cross who professed faith in him, today you'll be with me in paradise, expressing the salvation. Last week we saw in John 19, he looked at Mary, his mother, and said, woman, behold your son, providing for her. And then there's a gap in the gospel narratives till right before he dies. About six hours later, Jesus made four statements real quick. And these statements have more of an inward quality to them. They're, they're, they're more about him and his relationship to the Father. They're, they're more about his mission and his purpose. And in those statements, you know, next week we'll see from John 19, Jesus says, I thirst. And then the next week it is finished. And then we'll end it all in, in, in uh, Luke 23 with him saying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. But the fourth statement is where we are today. The fourth statement is found in both Matthew and Mark. We will be in the Gospel of Matthew. And after we have seen so far the forgiveness and the salvation and the love, today we're going to look at the abandonment, that God abandoned Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 45 through 46. And this is what that passage says. Now in the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, uh, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the message today, what I want you to see is this. At the cross, Jesus paid for our sins. It cost him, was an eternity worth of separation from God. Jesus paid for our sins, and all it cost him was just an eternity's worth of separation from God. And so what I want to do now is, is go through the course of this passage and, and just this message and kind of talk to you about what that means. And so we're going to begin by looking at the cross, what we call the cross of suffering. Now, normally when we think of suffering of Jesus, we think about the physical suffering, which is real. And we think about the emotional suffering, which is real. That suffering matters. 
But we also have to realize that there was another type of suffering. And, and, and that suffering is what's really important. It is the spiritual suffering that Jesus experienced. It is the fact that there was a spiritual disconnect between the Son and the Father. And, and in that suffering, what we see really <clears throat> is, is separation. That Jesus, the Son and the Father, experienced a separation which had never occurred before. There had never been any separation in the unity of God. And, and the best way I can kind of explain the suffering of separation is from a, a, an illustration or from a, from a uh, parable found in Luke chapter 15. <clears throat> Most of you, if you've grown up in church life, and even if you haven't, you've probably heard the story of the prodigal son, or at least about the prodigal son. In Luke 15, there's three parables Jesus tells about lostness. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. In the story of the prodigal son, a young man comes to his wealthy father, asks for all that he is entitled to it upon his father's death, his inheritance. He takes that, and it says he goes away into a far country. He goes far, far away. He wastes the money in sinful and moral living. And when it's done, a famine hits the land. He's impoverished, and he finds himself in the worst of conditions, living among pigs. And in that moment, he realizes something. He realizes he didn't have to make this choice. He doesn't have to live this way. He didn't have to live this way. What he's experiencing is a realization that he has become separated from his father. He has this loving father who cares about him, and he separated himself from his father in all of his rebellion. And he comes to his senses and realizes he didn't have to be separated. That's where his suffering is, not just in the famine, not just in the, the loss of employment, but the fact that he didn't have to live this way. He could be with the love and the communion and the fellowship with the Father. Also, the Father experienced the suffering of separation. For his son took everything that was, that was his. He took a bunch of money, and that wasn't the struggle. It was the fact that his son left the father. He rebelled against the father. And every day the father experienced the suffering of the separation from the son he loved, the son who was separated because of his rebellion. You see, in separation there is real suffering. And we just we can't really grasp it because we don't fully understand what it means to be separated from God. In, in the cross event, two important things come about. One of those themes is, is that of sin, the realness of sin. Sin is just rebellion against God. It's telling God, I want to do things my way. I'm going to live my way. And it's that rebellion, and that rebellion against the king separates us from God. It's the choice we have made. It's not the choice God made. God doesn't want to see us separated. God doesn't want us to sin. We make that choice. And the other thing we see at, at the cross is we see the theme of judgment, that there was consequences. Now, we Americans, we don't like to hear about judgment. We don't like that idea. We get this picture of God sitting up in heaven and just zapping everybody, and that's, you know, and just casting down judgment. That's not what it is. There are consequences for our rebellion. We have to be held accountable for what we do as a holy God. We've rebelled against him. Think of it this way. In, in any place where there's a king or a queen, and you rebel against the king or queen, you experience accountability. You have to be held accountable for what you did. Even in our own country, if you break laws, you're held accountable. Oftentimes, that accountability is separation. If you go to prison, you are separated from society. You are separated from your family. If there's a fine involved, you are separated from your finances. We recognize that a just and legitimate punishment, an accountability 
For rebellion is separation from something. And so when we come to the story of the cross, we're coming to a story that is of real separation. The son will be separated from the father in order to take upon the sins of the world, their suffering. And the father is separated from the son so that the son can bring salvation to all of us. And so we come to verse 45. And in verse 45, it tells us that darkness swallowed up the land from the sixth hour into the ninth. Now, when it talks about the hours as, as connected to the cross, it's talking about from the moment of sunup. They didn't keep time like we do with the set clock. When the sun rose, that was, that was the beginning of that day. And so three hours from sunup, they put Jesus on the cross about 9 o'clock. The sixth hour would have been about noon. The ninth hour, about 3 and so as Jesus hung on the cross at 9 o'clock, you know, there was the things we saw the last few weeks going on. He hung there. But about noon, darkness came. Now, you know, we, we see several things occurring, especially in Matthew, that we didn't read about. But you have darkness. You have an earthquake. You have the veil in the temple tearing. All these are, are signs. All these are things that God is sharing. The one we care about is, is darkness. And, and some people take it to be an eclipse. Can't be an eclipse because it was Passover. We had the situation with the moon. Some think it was a, as a desert storm of sand, and it wasn't that. You know, if you, most of us have probably seen in the middle of the day, Clouds roll in on a storm and darkness comes. You know, it's not darkness like at midnight, but it's, it's the, the covering of the sun, especially before a big storm, a hailstorm. It gets really, really dark. We have seen that. And so the, the concept is there was this overwhelming darkness in that land, right there around Christ. And, and the darkness, the importance of the darkness is, is that God brought it about because of the cross. The, the miracle, the supernatural part of it is when it occurred. Now, darkness can symbolize many things. Oftentimes, we think of darkness as symbolizing evil, and that's true. Uh, darkness uh, can also symbolize ignorance, and that's true as well. But darkness can symbolize judgment. And here, that is the essence of the darkness. From noon till three, God was bringing judgment. He wasn't bringing judgment on the whole world. He was bringing judgment on Christ, Jesus which is why Jesus says in verse 46, he cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, notice he cries out when, when you were on the cross and the physical suffering was immense. It was hard to speak. You, you, you were dehydrated. Your throat got parched. That's why next week we're going to see Jesus uh, saying, I thirst, and the importance of that. Um, but when you were on the cross, it was not easy to cry out. So it took a lot of energy. He wanted everybody to hear what he was saying. It was a very personal saying. It's, it's my God. Why have you, you know, abandoned, deserted me, me? So it's the mind, the me. This is, this is now personal. Well, earlier we have seen Jesus focusing on others. Forgive them. You will be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son. It was the focus was on others. Now the focus is kind of on himself. And it's not a selfish focus. This is that he's dying. And he's calling upon God, his God. It's emphatic. The God who is forsaking him. Now the interesting thing in both Matthew's account and Mark's account, is it is uh, 
the fact that Aramaic is, is put out there. So we actually read in verse 46 that Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is Aramaic. And then Matthew tells us which means to which is translated, my God, my God. And it's interesting uh, why that occurs. We should recognize that while the Gospels in the New Testament is written in Greek, most of the dialogue that we would see in the Gospels occurred in Aramaic, this type of Hebrew. That was their natural language, but it was put in Greek for our benefit or the benefit of those people at that time to read it. And so Luke, though, I mean, see, Matthew puts it in Aramaic, then translates it into Greek. And the reason would be very simple. He wanted the readers, many of whom, for Matthew, were Hebrew, to read Jesus' original words. This is what Jesus was saying. So he transliterated it. He took it from the Aramaic into the Greek, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And then he took it from the Greek, you know, as a transliterate to the language they would understand for us as English. So we would go from Aramaic then kind of down towards us for English. And in English, it translates, Eli, I mean, Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Greek, it's the same thing, but he's just trying to get them to understand that. And so it's, it's to add emphasis. It's to add the, the understanding of how important this is. It's the idea of being forsaken. And the idea of being forsaken is to be left behind. It's to be abandoned. It is, in essence, to, to cast away from your presence. And so if we talk about a, a car being abandoned on the side of the road, or we go and we see a house that's boarded up and abandoned, no one claims it. No one lives there. It's been left behind. And God has left Jesus behind. And so here's the thing. As Jesus cries this out, we need to realize, God didn't seem far away. He was far away. I mean, at this moment, God was far, far away from Jesus. That unity, that connection that had existed for all eternity was gone. And what Jesus was doing in this passage is he was quoting from Psalm 22, verse 1. If you go to Psalm 22, David, in a moment of anguish, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later on, David would end up praising the Father. And some, you know, scholars and some pastors would say that in, in quoting Psalm 22.1, Jesus was invoking the whole psalm, which was ultimately a psalm that ends up being a praise. But it, it's doubtful at this moment what Jesus was speaking of in a very personal way was to praise. What he was doing was identifying with David. You see, Jesus was the son of David. He was the, the one who came from the line of David uh, on his earthly side to, to be the great king, uh, to take the place of what David would be, the king of all Israel. And so we would understand that he's identifying with David and he's identifying with the suffering of being forsaken in that moment. Jesus asked a question that we all have asked. And Jesus asked the question, why? You know, Jesus asked the question we all have asked, why, why, why? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me behind? Why is this occurring? It's not unusual for people to ask the question why. It is natural for us to do that. In the midst of great difficulty, in the midst of great sorrow, in the midst of, of unbelievable pain, we, we want to know why. It's interesting here. God didn't answer. In fact, one of the things that I tell people quite often is that God doesn't always answer your question why. Not the way you want him to. There is an answer for it. And the answer for the question why was right there on the cross. Jesus says, why did you abandon me? And the answer is very simple. Because there has to be separation. Sin brings about that separation. So for the sin of all mankind, um, there is the abandonment of God. In fact, here's what we need to understand, that, that when you go back to the very first sin in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, we call that the fall. And the fall of man 
basically brought the fall of all of creation. All of what God creation created suffers because of the sin of man. See, we have this tendency, and it comes from ideas that really aren't biblical, that anytime something bad happens to us, it has to be because of something we did specifically. In John chapter 9, this comes about. The, the disciples are with Jesus. There's a man who is um, born blind, and they ask Jesus, for whose sin is he blind, his or his other? See, they thought everything that happened bad was because of some sin you committed. And Jesus said, none of that. It's not because of any sin. Ultimately, it's to bring glory to God. In other words, what he was saying to them is, this is his condition. But God will overcome his condition. The reason he was blind wasn't because of any sin in particular. It was because in general, when man is rebelled against God, this is what happens. You see, it's clear throughout Scripture that when we sin, God lets us do that. Just like the story of the prodigal son. The loving father let the prodigal son go away. He let him sin. He let him rebel. There was a price to pay for that. And God didn't stop the price. The prodigal father, in the story of the prodigal son, the loving father did not stop the son from suffering the consequences of rebellion. He was there for the son when the son repented and came back. You see, the consequences for us to rebel against God is God letting us rebel. He gives us what we want, the separation. G. Campbell Morgan tells us this way. He says, the beginning of sin is us forsaking God, and the end of sin is being God forsaken. And this is what Jesus was experiencing this. Understand, before the cross, Jesus had no idea what separation from the Father would feel like. You realize that, don't you? I mean, you know, Jesus knows all things, but there's head knowledge and there's experiential knowledge. And Jesus knew he would be separated from the Father. He, he's known that all along. I mean, in his entire ministry, he kept preparing at that. But he had no idea what that would feel like. Because this one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, had never experienced any separation. Man had been separated from God, but God had never experienced any separation within the unity of the Godhead. And here is the Son separated from the Father. And in that moment, this is when Jesus was experiencing hell. It's always amazing to hear the explanations of what Jesus went through and how he explained hell. Some people will say, well, when he died, he went to hell. No, he didn't. He didn't die and go to hell. And some people try to ex explain hell in different ways, and it's really clear. This is it. When Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? In that sense of separation, that is the experience of hell. Hell is separation from the love and fellowship of the Father. And instead, it is experiencing the accountability and judgment that comes from our rebellion. Jesus didn't rebel. He didn't deserve any of it, but he was experiencing it. He was experiencing what it means to be accountable for sin. Separation from all that is good and holy of the Father, the love. And to experience in that separation, the agony and the suffering is what hell really is. On the cross, Jesus suffered an eternity of hell for a moment. So you could have the moment of salvation for all eternity. And what that kind of complicated sentence means is this. When he was on the cross, he was only there for a short time. But in those moments, those hours, he suffered all the hell there is to suffer, an eternity's worth of hell. He did that 
So you, when you and I come to the moment of our life and we are saved, when we come to God through faith in Christ, in that moment we can experience an eternity's worth of salvation. We're saved forever. So the cross of suffering, what is it really? Well, this was the suffering, separation from God. This is what awaits all who reject Jesus. I mean, he tells us, he's showing us. If you reject Jesus, this is what you have to look forward to. An eternity's worth of separation from God. Which brings us then to this. Sometimes God seems so far away. He does. And the reason God seems far away is not because of anything God has done. It's because of us. Because of our rebellion against God. That's what Jesus was experiencing. Not his rebellion, our rebellion against God. Right now, we're living in a time where it's easy to think that God is far away. And this is difficult circumstances, the likes of which you know, none of us in our lifetime has really ever experienced. People who are old enough to go back to World War II or the Depression have some connection to this. But for most of us, this is completely foreign to us. And, and in many ways, it, it is difficult. God may seem to have abandoned us. We may want to know why. I mean, there are people who are contracted this disease and who will die from it. Um, and, and they've done nothing wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. Nobody did anything wrong to get this disease, at least not from our perspective. Well, I mean, if you, you want to trace it back to where it came from and, and, you know, in China and look at how the Chinese government handled things, I get that. And there's political stuff involved. I understand all that. But from the point of view of Americans, well, what do we do wrong? I mean, our governors didn't do anything wrong. Our mayors didn't do anything wrong. Our president, nobody did anything wrong. And yet we're experiencing this. There are people in, in nursing homes who, who need to see their family, who can't see them, people in hospitals. They're experiencing separation. They can't be with the people they love in a moment of great need. There are people who need us, you know, from this perspective of the church, and they can't get that. And there's real separation. There's real need. It's a struggle. And we have to be somewhat understanding of the fact that we didn't do anything to deserve this, I've seen on social media stuff, it just drives me nuts as a pastor. You know, God's trying to get our attention, and, and you know, this is what happens, and God's doing this. God didn't do this. We did this. We did this when we as humans chose to rebel against God. This is what happens when we say, God, we don't want you, and we want to rebel against you. God says, okay, I'll let you do that. There you go. I mean, there's no individual responsible. There's just the fallenness of humanity that lives in rebellion against God. But here's the cool thing. All of this gives us an opportunity to turn to God. You see, the question really isn't why. The question is always who. God sent Jesus into this world to die for us so that there is a who we may turn to, who experienced suffering just like us. Whatever we experience in the world, regardless of what type of suffering it is, Jesus experienced it in more because he spent an eternity's worth of separation from the Father, which is far worse than anything we can experience. God, as both Father and Son, experienced suffering. And he experienced that suffering so we could turn to a God who understands. This is what Stott said when he said, I could never worship a God who is immune to pain. Well, God isn't immune to pain. Just like the story of the prodigal son, the loving father felt the separation from the son. There was pain involved for God. On the cross, there was pain for God. 
the pain for separation. And it's in that pain that allows us to understand that when we ask why, the answer to the question why is who? Who are you going to turn to? Are you going to keep rebelling against God and do it your own way? That ain't going to work. Or even if you don't understand, you can turn to God. And so here's the thing. This, this Jesus on the cross shares with us three things that are so important. First, it shares with us that our sin is terrible. I mean, our sin is horrible. Our sin separates us from God for eternity. And it's our sin that put Jesus on that cross. He didn't deserve to die. He went for us. And so we have to understand the terribleness of sin as it brings us separation. The separation that is seen on the cross in Jesus. But we also see something else. We see that God's love is amazing. The most beloved and popular scripture verse in all the New Testament, John 3, 16. People love it because it says, God so loved the world. God didn't start loving the world when Jesus was on the cross. God didn't start loving the world when Jesus came into this world. God loved the world from the second he created it. In spite of all of the sin of mankind. And the world doesn't mean the earth, it means the people. God loves the people of the world. He's always loved us. That's why Jesus came to the cross to pay for sin. Because of the amazing love of God. And if we understand that sin is terrible, and we understand that God's love is amazing, then it means this. It means that salvation is real. There's a real salvation out there. A salvation for you, a salvation for me, a salvation for anyone. Paul says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We've been in rebellion against God. Now it's time to turn to God and call upon the name of Jesus and accept him as Savior. This is what the cross is all about. This is why when Jesus was on there being forsaken and abandoned, he did it for us. So that we wouldn't have to experience that, so that we could have salvation. So let me ask you this question. When was the last time you thought about what an eternity worth of suffering would be like? You ever think about that? I do. Think, what, what, what is an eternity's worth of suffering? And the truth is, I can't begin to imagine it. I don't know what it is because I've never suffered like that at all. In fact, no one has ever suffered that total separation from God. Not yet. You haven't yet. But Jesus did. Jesus experienced all that suffering. So you and I, would not have to. Normally when we have our worship services, we come to a point where we have what we call an invitation to give people an opportunity to come forward. We can't really do that, but in just a moment, Brian and the band is going to come and, and have another song of worship. This is, this is an opportunity for you. As you are at home by yourself with your family, watching it live, watching it archived later on, to reflect upon this very aspect of Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross suffered for our sins. He spent a lifetime, an eternity's worth of separation so we wouldn't have to. Have you ever trusted Christ? Have you ever in your life got to the point where you said, you know, Jesus, I need you to save me. This is what he came for. He came to that cross not to answer all your questions of why. He came to that cross to give you a who. Someone who was identified with you, who paid for your sins, who suffered for you. 
so that you wouldn't have to. Someone who spent an eternity separated from God for just a few moments so that you could experience a lifetime of salvation with one moment of committing your life to Christ. If you've never done that, we encourage you to do that. We encourage you to take the time to pray. In a little bit, as Ryan begins to sing, if you want to talk to a pastor, if you want to talk to somebody, there'll be a, a number up on the screen, and you can text respond. Text respond to that number, or you can email us at any time or call the church, and we want to help you. We're, we're here. I mean, no matter what happens, our pastors are here for you. Our pastors want to connect with you. Now, some of you, you are already followers of Jesus, and you know this. And you have people you know and you care about, that they're facing that eternal separation from God. When are you going to tell them about Christ? When are you going to help them to realize that Jesus already paid that price that they don't have to? When are you going to help them see that when Jesus was forsaken, that happened so you and I don't have to be that way? Who is that person that needs Christ that you know and that you care about? Listen, I don't know what... It's going to happen this morning. I don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks, but this is what I know. You don't have to live in separation from God. That doesn't have to be your story. Jesus did that for you. You can trust Christ with your life and ask him to save you. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus. And while we don't always understand all that's involved in our salvation, and we don't always all understand all that's involved in the suffering, and we don't always understand why we can't get answers to the question, why the way we want and even in this most craziest of times, Father, it sometimes seems strange to us. This is one thing. You came into this world so that we could come to Jesus. In the midst of all of our struggles, in the midst of all of our difficulties, this one thing is sure. We can come to Jesus because he paid the whole price for our sin. And we don't have to be separated from you. We can be connected to you just the way you want through faith in Christ. So God is our prayer that now these moments of reflection upon you, you will bring us to Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.